Our gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Aturia and Trachonitis, Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the word of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. <clears throat> I do want to return this morning to the three questions I ask you to consider as we began this morning, as we listen through the prelude, and to consider and to assume already that God is making a way for us to make a way for the world to know of God's presence among us. And I want to begin by reminding us that there was a time in our nation when the idea of building a clear route from coast to coast was a rather, a rather difficult thing to get your head around. It was a very dangerous proposition, more dangerous than landing on the moon, I would propose, considering the, the human toil and the dangers and the peril that came with that endeavor. So after the Civil War, there were two rail companies who worked to build a railway across our nation, the Central Pacific Railroad and the Union Pacific Railroad. Now, the Central Pacific worked from the west to the east, and of course the Union built from the east to the west. And they eventually came together in Promontory, Utah. Now by the time they met, the Central Pacific Rail Line had built 690 miles of tracks. But the Union Pacific, over 1,000 miles of track. But it was the shortest route that was the most difficult. It was the most dangerous path, hence they didn't go quite as far distance-wise. You see, while the Union Pacific built across mostly flat plains, the Central Pacific had to engineer their way through the Sierra Nevada mountains, a much harder task. Now, I share this with you as we consider the words of John the Baptist today, because he has commanded that we should prepare to make a way and a straight way for the Lord. And as we hear him speak, he makes it clear, using the words of the prophet, that this path has a few obstacles. These paths to make God's way in the world have valleys, crooked road, mountains, and rough patches. Now this, of course, is a metaphor. The prophets were not calling for a road crew to be formed. So what do these hills, what do these crooked valleys and roads and these mountains and these rust patches, what do they represent? Well, they've likely represented a lot of things for a lot of people over all these thousands of years. But they have a couple of specific meanings 
that Luke wants us to be aware of. They mean to address the overall, first of all, the overall religious and political powers of the day. Some of them will take both the lives of John the Baptist and Jesus. And we see that ushering in a new king in the world, in a world full of kings and would-be kings, this did not come without threat to those who had power. Luke names them here for us with Pilate and Herod, perhaps the most names you recognize the most. Both will use their powers to make Jesus' ministry and life difficult. Both will use their powers to make the life of anyone who followed him difficult. And their powers were often that of violence, as the cross teaches us. And secondly, and for most of our focus this morning, these hills and these valleys represent obstacles that you and I must overcome that get in the way of God coming into our own lives. It is, as John the Baptist says, a reminder of our need to repent, our need to overcome the sins in our lives. And this is what people were thinking when they came to the baptism waters where John stood. Now, John himself was quite a peculiar figure, I would imagine, in his own day. He came from this rather obscure community we don't read much about called the Essenes, most likely. His way of looking and, and eating and overall being, well, they were different, obviously. We have disciples from the Galilee. We have people from Jerusalem. We have those who come from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and even the Samaritans. But among them, John is unique, and, but his message is familiar to them all. All of them would have recognized the king for which he spoke of. He speaks to the coming of the king they had all longed for and anticipated for. John was a controversial figure as well because, well, he didn't have any religious, official religious standing in the world. But this is the one who came to prepare the way. He very much embodied this person that the prophets said would come. In truth, it probably would have been easier for Jesus if, if John had come from the Pharisees or the Sadducees, maybe given him a little bit more pedigree. Instead, God saw fit that one such as John should usher in and make this announcement. And the road he walked was difficult. The road he asked us to walk is challenging, and it's never easy. This road that John calls us to walk is always asking you and me to be a contradiction to the ways and the powers of the world. This call is asking you and I to always be reflective about our lives. And so I've wondered this week, who are, the, who are the those in our world today that are most like John the Baptist for you and me? It had me thinking about people like a man named Shane Claiborne, who you may not know much about, who is a radical voice for peace and fairness and justice in the world one who desires to end violence and is bold enough to think he can play some part in that. I think about the late Rachel Head Evans, who is a voice for a generation of Christians whose message about a transformed church is still worth listening to. Maybe you have your own John the Baptist in your life, those that you have heard coming out of nowhere, it seems, to share a good word. These voices are always among us. Because this is how God works, I think we've learned. God comes in those voices who ask us to be self-reflective, 
challenging us to take seriously the work of making ways for God to live among us. And now we're likely inclined to listen to those who are carrying religious titles as well, reverends and doctors. But in truth, the institutional church and leaders, well, we're losing our influence in the world that we once knew. Even so, it can be difficult for us to accept those voices that come from places we're not familiar with, claiming and announcing that God is doing something new. And most of the time, well, we like, the, the, we like things to stay the way they are. It's the world we'd rather change, right? Not us. But this is who God is. God is one who speaks in faraway lands. God is one who sends those who follow him to harsh and remote places, to lush and fertile places. God is still the one who walked with Israel in 40 years of exile. God is still the God who walks with us in our own exiles. That, in fact, is where these first Christians were when Luke wrote the gospel. They were in exile. They had lost their home. They were refugees, no longer able to go to Jerusalem. And Luke wants them to know this above all things, that in the wilderness, in the wilderness of scattered humanity, in our diaspora, of being apart from one another, in those familiar places where God speaks, God still speaks for us. And if this is true, then what way is God asking us to make today, you and me? Where do you and I need to look beyond the nostalgia of our church, the nostalgia of this season we call Christmas? Where do we need to look beyond our typical expectations of God and of the church and discover that God is up to something we haven't yet noticed? Where else other than our sanctuaries or the places we're accustomed to God speaking for us, is God indeed speaking? Where do we need to go beyond our familiar stomping grounds, beyond our personal experiences, in order to hear a word of repentance and grace? Dare we go there? In my devotional this week, I came across these words. It's hard for God to find us and for us to find God when we are surrounded by the comforts and the distractions and all that is familiar to us in this world. And maybe this is why John's gospel was so stark, so forthright, so challenging. As I sometimes do, I've thought a bit about hiking trails when I come across this passage. It's something I enjoy doing. Hiking trails are not natural. They haven't always been there if you've been on a trail before. They've been cut in the ground and through woods and forests by people who came before us. Before there was a trail. They show us the way and there was a time when someone had to dig those trenches and cut those trees. And there's a lot of trails in this world that are so unused that the undergrowth takes over. In other places, it's too rocky, it's too flat. There's, there's no trail because the ground isn't amenable to that. So as a result, it's sometimes easy to get off path. It's easy to get off trail. And in those instances, the only guiding light we have are the trail markers, the trail blazes, if you will, that are on trees along the path. 
for this reason, when we started hiking with our child, one of the first things I wanted her to know that is if the trail ever disappears, if you ever get separated from us, if you ever get lost, remember where the last blaze was and go back to that. And once you get there, you can, you can always find your way back home. You can always find your way. You see, John the Baptist was a trailblazer in this sense. He was a trailblazer for a generation of people who came to believe that Christ was part of this way of God in the world that was coming. In fact, before we were called Christians, we were called people of the way. They lived their lives following these markers that Jesus gave them for what it meant to follow him. And they understood that, that their way of life was a marker for others to see in the world. And the same is true for you and me. So the question we have to ask ourselves, this reflective part of who we're called to be, is what signs do people see in our own lives today? Are we reflecting the ways of Christ? Are the, the ways of Christ, are they visible in you? Are you showing others the way of Christ because they're coming through you? Or is it something different guiding you? Let's be clear that it's Christ who is the mark. But you and I, when we follow his lead, we too become markers. We can become blazes. We, we can become beacons of light for others. We're always showing people some way. We show people some way in the words that we use. We show people some way in how we do or do not welcome the stranger. We show people some way in how we handle things like conflict, our, our disappointments, our differences, our, our failures. We show some way. The question is what way are we showing? Are we showing Christ's way? That's the question today. And today is the day to acknowledge, the season of Advent is to acknowledge that we get off trail, we get off track. We take the wrong paths. We, we make paths of our own choosing. So what's it look like to get off trail for you? Sometimes we get off trail and we think that God is wrathful. And we become wrathful ourselves. We might be off track if we think of God as rules and as laws only. And then we're a little harsher with our own failures. We find it hard to forgive others of their mistakes. We get off trail when we think God is indifferent or doesn't understand human reality. Then we become indifferent ourselves and maybe self-isolating or looking out for number one. The Benedictine sister Joan Chittister once wrote, I have known all these gods in my own life and these have all failed me. I feared God and been judgmental of others. I've used God to get me through life and as a result, failed to take steps to change my own life. She says, I've come to the conclusion that after a lifetime of looking for God, that such a divinity of my own making is not a deity big enough to believe in. Now her point is that until we come to see when we are making our own way in this world, instead of following Christ's ways, we're off track. But we, as Christians, know how to find our way again. And this is the very thing that John the Baptist comes preaching today. Prepare a way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways made smooth. 
and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So may these words be ablaze. May they be ablaze for you and me. And may they be ablaze for every generation that follows us. Let them call you and me towards a new way of being when that is necessary. Let them, in fact, help us to see that God has already made a way for our greatest hopes to become reality. For our world, for our church, and for our lives. And again, as I ask you today, I assume some of the answers that perhaps you had in regard to what you hope for, for your, for your world and for our church and for your lives. And I must assume that many of us, in many ways, long for a more peaceful world. I have to assume that you and I, in many ways, desire for God to help us grow this congregation and for others to follow Christ. I have to assume that in many ways, each of us longs to make more room for God to shine through our own lives and the marks that we leave in this world. Well, the good news is that, well, we've already been, we've been told by John that that way is coming. That way has come, and that's Christ's ways. And it's Christ's teachings that if we will follow them, we'll always find ourselves heading back home again. We only need to follow Christ to all the broken realities of our world and get to the work of healing and peacemaking. We only need to follow Christ to welcome strangers and simply invite people to church. Share with others what God is doing to redeem you. We only need to follow Christ and allow things like love and kindness and forgiveness and sacrifice to be seen in our living, to be seen among you and me, to be seen with every stranger that we encounter in this world. And when we do that, we have made a way. So for those who come today, if you are a follower of Christ, if in any way you need to turn, repent, and go back, find your rootedness in Christ. If you're among us today and you don't know what those teachings are, and you want to follow Christ, and you want to know more about him, please let me know. They're surrounded by a lot of folks who would love to teach and show you that way. Christ is our hope. Christ is our way. Christ has come, and Christ will come again. Thanks be to God. Amen.